0: Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today, we are kicking off our series, I Love the 80s. Now, here's our Connections Coordinator, Kelly Owens, with this week's message. Oh, that was hilarious, wasn't it? I have laughed. I've watched that probably a thousand times this week. It was a great story. How many of you could relate in some way to that story? Yes. Well, story is important, and telling the story is even more important Because when we are brave enough to tell our stories, we become brave enough to connect with one another. When we tell our stories, topics like birth and death, joy and sorrow, they stop being topics and they become personal, full of life and meaning. And stories bring us together and help us realize that we are incredibly different, but intricately the same, all at the same time. One of the first and last things I was asked to do when I went to seminary was to write my story. And the reason why is because writing my story allowed me to see where I had been, where I was, and where I was going. And what it did was allow me to see that I was part of a bigger picture, just like you. We all are in this together. But also it allowed me to see where God's hand was at work in the intimate details of my life. We all have stories, and every story has value and meaning. You have value and meaning. This is one of the reasons I love the Bible, too. I love how God values the story. He could have left us a rule book full of do's and don'ts, but he didn't. He left us a book full of stories, full of people like you and me, stories full of wins and losses, triumphs and tragedies. He allows us to see the transformation of a human heart when it doesn't seem possible, but he also allows us to grieve and feel the sorrow of those who never find their way. The stories of that book in the Bible are no less true or real than the stories of our lives. So today, instead of giving you a traditional four point sermon, because you know the way we do things around here at Vertical Church. (laughs) I want to tell you a story. So if we can just stop and pray for a moment and just ask the Lord to bless this and to open your hearts. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the word that I know you have given and spoken into my heart. Lord allow hearts to receive to be open to what you have to say grant me the grace and peace to deliver it with strength and power Lord we love you and we recognize your presence with us today. give us boldness give us ears to hear eyes to see Hearts to believe what the Spirit is speaking. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. Before I get started, um, version. if you have a pad or a phone and you want to follow along, you, along, you can go to Uversion and it's an app that you can get and you can follow along there. If you go to Vertical Church, go to Live Vertical Church and then search for. The toolbox. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Today I'm going to talk to you about the things that help us build a home. Whether you're married or single, whether you're a widow, divorced, whatever, you still have a home and you still need to build it. So the title of my story today is The Toolbox. My children just turned 6 and 8 during the first 2 weeks of May. That 2 weeks is the most incredibly busy week weeks of our lives every year. And I don't remember turning 6 and I don't remember turning 8, but I do remember turning 5. And that was the year my brother with down syndrome was born. That was the year that I knelt by my bed and asked Jesus to be my savior, and that was the year I had the crazy dream. In this dream, I dreamed, little old me, that I was a missionary to the natives of Hawaii. (laughs) Now, mind you, I did not have the grand picture of Hawaii as a tropical island of rest, I literally, in this dream, I dreamed of natives, you know, that you would see on National Geographic movie or something like that. And while at the time these events seemed mostly unrelated, throughout my life, God has helped me to realize that all these events converged at one time to create a moment where a five-year-old was powerfully introduced to who Jesus Christ is. Before my brother was born, I told my parents, I said, if you have a boy, I am throwing him in the trash. can. <laughs> and I meant it, because even then, I was bold and powerful and mouthy, okay? <laughs> but when my brother was born and my mom came from the hospital, she came alone. And I couldn't understand why, and all I wanted was for that baby to be home, male or female. It was not right that that baby did not come home with my mom. And that baby didn't come home because that baby had Down syndrome. And I am sure that my mom and dad tried to explain it to me But all I could see was my parents on the couch without that baby that should have been there. But what my parents understood and what I was coming to understand was that Kevin was God's and God was in control. Now, if you're watching a great TV show like Once Upon a Time... Now is when they would do all those flashy cinematography things and do a scene change and flash you back to the past. But I am not skilled in cinematography, so you'll just have to take my word that my dream was amazing. If I can still remember it at 38, it was pretty. amazing. The thing about my crazy dream is that I can remember how excited I was to tell everyone about this dream. And I can remember the response that most people gave me. It was not excitement or encouragement, but the brush off, laughter. I can even remember one person who said, I wish God would call me to Hawaii. So I just think, if I was being handed this at five, how am I supposed to survive people for the rest of my life? (laughs) But my parents were amazing. They believed in me, and they believed in my dream. And they told me how, when I was in my mother's tummy, that they had given me to the Lord. And I know that they had done the same with my brother. Now, does that remind anyone in here of another story? Well, if you've been a Christian for a while, it might remind you of a story. But if you haven't, let me tell you. In the Old Testament, there was a woman named Hannah. And she wanted a child. She wanted a child so desperately that she cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, if you will give me a child, when that child is of age, I will give that child back to you. That's where my parents found a connecting point. A connecting point where a mother offered her child to the Lord and they watched that child be used mightily by the hand of God. My parents had a point to relate, something to keep them level. Something to remind them that Jesus Christ was aware of the big picture. Jesus was that level. He was the constant. He was the stability in the scariness of a child that was five already wanting to travel the world. The stability for a mother who didn't know how to function in a world where motherhood determined your value. They didn't know what to do when they had a baby with Down syndrome. This wasn't modern day. This was back in the 70s where they took your child a lot of times, but they had a constant. So this is a level. If you want to build a home, this is the first tool that you need in your toolbox, and Jesus is that level. If you want to have stability in your home, If you want a true and deep foundation, one that will allow you to bear the heaviness of life, you must have faith, and that faith must be in the saving power of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 16 through 22, and I'm going to read this from the message version. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer exiles, strangers, or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name as Christian as anyone. Now here we go. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together, the level. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. You see, for my parents who had just had a Down syndrome baby, Jesus was the peace when the world offered them a storm. For Hannah, God was the sovereign God who could give her a baby and then use him. For me, Jesus was the dream giver, the life planner. And for me as an adult, Jesus is the constant, the stability with my children. He allows me to be consistent. With my love. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your situation looks like. You may know someone who has a handicapped child. You may have one of your own. You may have just had a baby, or you may be crying out for that baby, or you may just be crying out for the opportunity to meet someone so that you can have a baby. I don't know where you are. But if you want the bearing capacity to withstand the heaviness of the storms life can bring, if you want the ability to survive one another, even the people in your own house, if you want hope for this life, you must have faith and allow Jesus to be the level, the constant in your life. Now, I realize that's a little heavy, so I'm going to give you a chance to catch your breath and I'm going to tell you a story. Because this is about the 80s, and I know we're focusing on 80s TV, but I'm a child of the 80s, and I love the movie, The Princess Bride. And Princess Buttercup is forced in the end to marry Prince Pumpernickel. And she is standing there, and they are at the altar. And I'm going to do my lovely impression of the priest. And he says, Wob, woo Wob, will follow you forever. So cherish your Wob. Okay, I know that's a really bad impression, but (laughs) I love that movie. (laughs) And sometimes we need to talk about love. Anyone remember that movie? Anyone besides me? Yes. (laughs) Because I want to relate to you as many as possible today, I want to read you the lyrics to a song by worship leader Misty Edwards, and it's called Arms Wide Open. What does love look like is the question I've been pondering. What does love look like? What does love look like is the question I've been asking of you. I once believed that love was romance, just a chance. I even thought that love was for the lucky and the beautiful. I once believed that love was a momentary bliss. But love is more than this. All you ever wanted was my attention. All you ever wanted from... "'Wanted was love from me. "'All you ever wanted was my affections "'to sit here at your feet. "'Then I sat down, a little frustrated and confused. "'If all of life comes down to love, "'then love has to be more than sentiment, "'more than selfishness and selfish gain. "'And then I saw him there hanging on a tree. "'Looking at me, I saw him there hanging on a tree.' Looking at me, he was looking at me, looking at him, staring through me. I could not escape those beautiful eyes, and I began to weep and weep. He had arms wide open, a heart exposed. Arms wide open, he was bleeding. Love's definition, love's definition was looking at me, looking at him hanging on a tree. And I began to weep and weep and weep. This is how I know what love is. This is how I know what love is. And as I sat there weeping, crying, those beautiful eyes full of love and desire, he said to me, You shall love me. You shall love me. You shall love me. With arms wide open, a heart exposed. With arms wide open, bleeding, sometimes bleeding. If anyone's looking for love in all the wrong places, If you've been searching for love, come to me. Come to me. Take up your cross, deny yourself. Forget your father's house and run, run with me. You were made for abandonment, wholeheartedness. You were made for someone greater, someone bigger. So follow me and you'll come alive when you learn to die. 1 Peter 4. Above all... Love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. The message version says that love makes up for practically anything. Where's my right tool? This is a type of Leatherman, or a Swiss Army knife. This has a hammer on it. If you want to build a home, this is the second tool you need in your toolbox. This tool can do almost anything open it up here for you so you can see all the different things. It even has pliers inside. Love is like this tool. It has the ability to do what no other tool can accomplish. Love adjusts attitudes. Love hammers defenses. Love calibrates perspective. And love covers offenses. If you need to know what love looks like, how love would respond, then I would say, look at the cross. In his last meal with the disciples, Jesus tells them that he loves them. And then he tells them to love one another. And he closes by saying that the world will know that they are his disciples by their love for one another. Does the world know that we are his disciples? Do they know us more for what we are for or who we are? Or by what we are against. For my parents, love held a Down syndrome baby with hope for a bright future. For Hannah, love offered up what she had every right to cling to so tightly her very own child. For me, at five, love looked like giving Jesus to natives. In all these situations, love said and did what it needed to do to create a breakthrough in each person's life. When we refuse to act and respond in love with our deeds, with our words, with our facial expressions, I'm really bad about that, the tone of our voice, what we do is we create barriers instead of breakthroughs. And I believe we need more breakthroughs in our life. How about you? and need some breakthroughs. Now, I'm not a little girl anymore, and I'm all grown up, but obviously I have not forgotten about the haters, those who hated my dream. Those people who didn't believe in my dream or who didn't talk in a way that I felt was life-giving about my dream. I also went through a period of life when I was very hurt. I was so hurt that, and I'm going to get emotional, and you guys are just going to have to be okay with that, okay? Okay. I would go to my closet and cry and scream and say, God, if I have to go to heaven with these Christians, I don't want to go. And I meant it. I meant it. But I also knew what God said, that if I wanted to be forgiven, I needed to forgive. And so every day for almost three years, I would go in my closet, and I would scream, and I would cry, and I would pray, and I would say, Father, I don't know how to forgive, but help me forgive, because I want you to forgive me. And so, one day, I just woke up, and I realized that I wasn't angry anymore, that forgiveness had entered my heart. And you might be wondering why I'm telling you that story. But I want to tell you it's because I want to introduce you to the third tool you need in your home. And that's forgiveness. And I'm using a wrench in this illustration. Because if you are like me, there are things that you hold on to too tightly. And you need to pry them loose. Got it? Because you know what happens when we hold too tightly to those things in our hands, the things that we say, God, I know I'm right. Where is your justice in this situation? And you know what God says? I'm in control. You need to let go. Because you know what happens? Unforgiveness leads to bitterness, and the only person that hurts is you. Got it? Ephesians four thirty two, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. Jesus is still the perfect example of forgiveness. In John 13, we are told of the story of the meal with his last disciples, the same one where he tells them to love one another. Just before that point in the story, Jesus takes time to wash the disciples' feet. The job of a servant, he bends, he pours the water, he washes the dirt off their feet. He humbles himself, and he even does this for the one he knows will betray him. Could you sit and eat your last meal with the person you know is going to send you to your death? To the person, could you wash their feet? offering them forgiveness before they even need it? He humbles himself. He pours out the water to cleanse their feet and later pours out his life to cleanse their hearts. He anoints them to go and make disciples. He anoints them for their own cruel deaths. He commands them to do what he has done. He loves them until the end. He said they will know us by our love for one another. And a deep part of that love is forgiveness. If I am truly a disciple, if you are truly a disciple, we bear the same command. I am such a work in progress. We all want forgiveness. But oftentimes, we're not so willing to give it. And this is much harder when you're connected to the situation, when you're the person that's been hurt. We can see things on TV and be outraged, and in a few months it passes. We're pacified because it doesn't affect us closely. But when it affects us closely, we're reminded over and over, day to day, about the hurt, the pain, the scar. And so what we need to remember is that in... Other people want grace as much as you and I. And I think we forget that. We forget that. It becomes easy, especially if you're like me and you're justice-driven and you feel the need to see God's justice in the world, you have a very strong sense of right and wrong. And what we do is we fail to offer what we yearn for most is that acceptance and that love and that forgiveness and the ability to move on from our past. What I have learned, and you want to write this down? Everybody ready? We set unfair expectations on others when we're shocked that they hurt and disappoint us. I'm going to say that again. We set unfair expectations on others when we are shocked that they hurt and disappoint us. Because that's going to happen, and it's even harder when it's someone you live with because there is much more opportunity, much more time to hurt those people that you love. There is no formula for forgiveness. Sometimes it will take time. If you're like me, it might take three years. But I believe that God honors the heart that longs to forgive, even when they don't know how to actually do it. But it has to be done. This is why forgiveness is a key to survival. And this is my, my closing thought in this point is, it was a relief to get over myself. Okay, anybody been there? Yeah? Now, if you know me at all, you know I love to laugh. One of my favorite things about going out with all the ladies is the laughter that ensues. One of the reasons that I love to hang out and play with my kids is because we have so much fun and they make me laugh. The minister who married Brian and I asked us before we got married what was the one thing I loved most about our relationship. And I said, we laugh. I love the movie Mary Poppins. One of my favorite scenes is when Mary takes the children to visit Uncle Albert. And the more Uncle Albert laughs, the higher he floats in the air. And soon Bert has joined him and eventually the children join him as well. And it's fun and lighthearted and a reminder of what childhood should be. The fourth tool you have need of to build a home is humor. I have with me here a screwdriver because in my opinion, we're all a little screwed up, right? <laughs> what did Nars Barkley say? I think you're crazy, just like me. <laughs> the Bible says it like this. Proverbs seventeen twenty two: A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. To be cheerful means to be noticeably happy, to be hopeful. Humor is an essential tool to good mental health. Patsy Claremont, a wonderful speaker, and let me just say an author of the wonderful Bible study that Ingrid Varela is going to do for the women during the summer. (laughs) Laughter, she says this, laughter disarms, relaxes, distracts, enhances, and connects us to one another. In the book, A Better Brain at Any Any Age, A Holistic Way to Improve Your Memory, Reduce Stress, and Sharpen Your Wits, author Sandra Kornblatt explores how laughter can truly make you feel better. And these are the eight health benefits of laughter. Lower blood pressure, increase in vascular blood flow and oxygenation of the blood. It gives a workout to the diaphragm Abdominal, facial, leg, and back muscles, and I know some ladies who keep track of their last calories. It reduces certain stress hormones such as cortisol and adrenaline. It increases the response of tumor and disease killing cells. It defends against respiratory infections, including the frequency of colds. It increases memory and learning, and a study at Johns Hopkins University Medical School. Humor during instruction led to increased test scores, improved alertness, creativity, and memory. Now, Robert Provine, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at the University of Maryland, says that laughter is part of the bigger picture. And what he says is that it's not just about laughing, but it's about laughing with one another. That there is a connection, a certain sense of vulnerability an acceptance that is required to laugh with one another. And so, how many know it's kind of hard to laugh alone? I mean, if you're watching a TV show, but if you're telling a joke, if you're interacting with people, you need someone to laugh with. The data on divorce provides compelling evidence that we are not succeeding in having joy and laughter in our marriages. Nearly half of all marriages end in divorce, and couples who live together are far likely to have their marriage in badly. And of marriages that endure, most are less than happy, they say. So much of our attitude about life and our capacity to meet life's challenges depends on the quality of relationships we have, especially our most intimate relationships. So, as you know, the result is the bookshelves are filled with self-help books, Things on humor, things on laughter, on happy marriages, and how to be a better person. But laughter is the one thing that rarely gets translated into advice or therapy, but yet is the one thing that the Bible says is good medicine. Homegrown laughter is the one thing that failing marriages need most. It is uniquely human. It is a social signal, and it disappears when there is no audience which may be as small as one person, but yet it binds people together. What happens is my brain gets connected to your brain when humor is involved. And what it does is restore a positive climate of emotional health and a sense of connection and well-being because people literally take pleasure in the company of one another. Laughter can diffuse anger and anxiety And in doing so, it can pave the path to intimacy. So here are the things that I want you to note about laughter. Laughter brings people together and signifies social support. Men like women who laugh in their presence. Women laugh more than men, and men tend to be the laugh-getters. The laughter of the female is critical in gauging the healthiness of relationships. Laughter in relationships declines dramatically as people age. Now, I don't know about you, but I say we break that cycle. You want to? Amen? Like yawning, laughter is contagious. The laughter of others is irresistible. Laughter will not make your problems go away, but it will create the stage for you to tackle them together. Right? Proverbs 24, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Faith, love, forgiveness, humor, God-given tools that can help us be wise. Very wise, right? Now, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what situation you are in in your life. You may be in a situation where you're just at the beginning, where you are trying to find that faith. You need to find Jesus Christ as your savior. You may be at a point where you need love, where you need the love of another person, or you need to learn how to respond in love, or act in love, or do things for other people in love. You may be at a point in your life where you need forgiveness, or you may be the person that needs to forgive. You may be the person that laughs a lot and you have that gift to give to us. Or you may be the person that needs to learn to laugh. And I don't know where you are. I don't know where a lot of you have been but I know one thing we are on a journey together and God is using us If we look back to the scripture in Ephesians it says that he is building a house and we model his behavior and we build a home and he is the cornerstone of that large home that he is building with all of us together and he is the cornerstone of what we build on our own So if you all will just bow your heads today. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.